Could we please have another large round of applause? <laughs> These are stories of God restoring wrecked people. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brian Steele. I'm the uh, high school and middle school pastor here at Christ the King. And we're looking at another story of a guy who was wrecked and then restored. But first, I want you to know that there's only one place on earth where four major global weather patterns collide. There's high-pressure systems, the same uh, weather forces that create monsoons in India collide with forces that create deserts in the Sahara. And it's high pressure and low pressure, and it all meets directly on Israel. And the, the forces of the storms made by weather patterns from Europe and Asia and India and North Africa are teeth rattling over Israel. And one day, 2,000 years ago, one of these storms raked a Roman colony on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. It was a place called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. Now, to the Jewish mind, the Decapolis was filthy and unclean because, first of all, it was non-Jewish or Gentile, also as a pig farming community. This is like double negative. This isn't good, okay? It was a place of filth and a place that was unclean. And as the storm was hammering this region, a lone man sat huddled against a tomb looking out at the storm. He was bent over, clenching his fists. And he hated these storms. I want you to picture the wind blowing in his hairs and, and like sand blowing in his eyes. He could feel the storm before it arrived. He could smell it because they always start with a, just a warm, gentle breeze that blows over the Golan Heights into the Sea of Galilee Basin. But that breeze from the east was a warning shot. And so he knew. And so he got into his little, uh, his little hillside hollow and grasped the tomb. And he looked out, and on the hillsides, the pig farmers were running for cover. And they were finding shelters in their homes because they knew the storm was coming too. But he didn't have a home. He had a graveyard. And he hated these storms. These storms were loud. They were louder than the mob that lived inside of him. And he wanted to yell in defiance, but the night before, he had yelled out his voice from torment. That was his habit, day and night, screaming in torment. He didn't have any voice left to yell against the storm. He often took rocks and scraped and cut his arms, hoping that this pain would somehow distract him from the pain of the mob that lived inside of him. He was wrecked in so many ways. He was wrecked by shame. I mean, the dude lived uh, naked among pigs in a graveyard. He was wrecked by reputation. He was a known freak. 
He was wrecked by self-destruction and the, the scars bore witness to that. He was wrecked by madness and screamed uncontrollably. He was lonely, painfully lonely. He was a solitary freak. The man doesn't even have a name recorded in the Bible. So we're just going to call him the wrecked man. And if you want to follow along in your uh, Bible or in your app or in the outline, we're looking at Mark chapter 5. And the wrecked man was not only facing a storm out on the Sea of Galilee, but he had a storm that lived inside of his soul. There was a mob of demons that lived inside of him. Not one demon, not a few, not dozens, not hundreds, thousands of demons lived inside this guy. And maybe he once tried counting them or remembering their names or their voices, but there was too many of them. It's like they came and went inside of him like a skanky motel that was rented by the hour. He hated them all. They called themselves legion, like a Roman army. And people had tried to control him by placing chains, but he would break the chains. There's three things, just as a little aside, you need to know about the demonic realm. Number one, it's real. Number two, it fights against everything God is doing in heaven and earth. And number three, it's not a fair fight. God wins. On good days, the mob was a chatter of voices in his head. He couldn't stop. But on today, on this day of the storm, they were loud. They were loud, like the storm that was on the Sea of Galilee. And so I want you to picture crazy, naked, hunkered down, wrecked man grasping his tomb against the storm. And he's looking out and maybe he's seeing waves that are like 10 feet tall in the Sea of Galilee. And as he's looking out, suddenly there's a calm. And the storm stops. And there's a dead, powerful, eerie Silence. And he is terrified by this calm. He doesn't know what's going on. Because these storms don't just stop. They go on for hours. But this one, as if it was miraculous, just stopped. And he looked out on the hillside and people were coming out of their homes too, the pig farmers. And they were wondering what's going on because there was a powerful calm on the sea. It's as if a switch was thrown. And then he looks out across the sea and on the glassy, perfectly calm sea, he sees a boat coming. And inside the boat is Jesus of Nazareth and his 12 disciples who are terrified because they nearly lost their lives in the storm. And the wrecked man, he's feeling this strange pull towards the boat, and he can't explain it, but he's being drawn towards the boat. And as the boat gets closer and closer, he gets drawn to it, but the 
the mob inside of him is getting louder and louder and louder. And now it's like the storm in his head is violent. But he can't help it. So he runs out, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And there's a pause. And then in the calm, the voice of the mob breaks the silence. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This man, Jesus, was different than anyone the, the wrecked man had, had met before. Right? Everybody else, when they're seeing this guy, they're like skirting way around him. Jesus walks straight towards him. People, when they smell him, because he probably smells filthy, they, they may be gagged, but Jesus comes near and maybe puts an arm around him. People never looked in his eyes. Kids maybe threw rocks at him from, from a distance just for fun, but Jesus looked at him straight in the eye. And the wrecked man, when he was looking at Jesus, he saw in Jesus a powerful calm, like the calm on the Sea of Galilee. And this man had power. Remember, like I'd often read this account in the, in the Bible. And when I'm thinking of the storm being calmed, I'm picturing some waves and some clouds. And it's kind of a big deal. But remember, this is a global weather collision. That he's not just calming a storm over the Sea of Galilee. He's calming the storm on a global scale. With a few words. And with a few words, Jesus spoke the universe into existence. And for the first time, the wrecked man detects something in the mob. He senses something. He can feel it in the mob. They're afraid. The mob is afraid before the presence of this man, Jesus, because the mob also saw the storm calm. And they knew they were before a force that was more powerful than the storm. And then, with a few words, Jesus commands the mob of demons to leave the wrecked man. And I want you to picture what this is like. Because he's bent over, and as they leave, first by the dozens, and then by the hundreds, and then by the thousands, I want you to see the wrecked man becoming restored. And I want you to put yourself in his head as this is happening. And maybe it was really loud and he couldn't stand it. And then as the demons are leaving, maybe it was like the volume being turned from 11 all the way down to zero. And then it was quiet. Now Jesus sends the mob of demons into a herd of 2,000 pigs. And now the storm is in these pigs, and these pigs are freaking out. And they're thrashing around, and they're being driven mad. And so they chuck themselves over a cliff into the Sea of Galilee. This is a tragedy if you're an animal lover. <laughs> this is a bigger tragedy if you love bacon. But to the people of Decapolis, this is a major financial loss. This is an economic hit of huge order. And so then, the storm becomes one of rumor 
as rumor spreads through the Decapolis that the herd was lost. How many pigs? Thousands of them? No. And the storm is gathering. And so now a crowd from the people of the region of Decapolis gather. And now they're the storm. But meanwhile, before we get to this crowd, let's back up a little bit. In the boat, let's not forget that there's 12 disciples. Right? And these are good Jewish boys. And they sh I'm sure that they're just disgusted as they're watching this scene. Right? Because they didn't even want to go to the other side of the sea. And let's face it. Like if there was a guy who was this wrecked in Ferndale, let's say he's possessed by thousands of demons and would break chains and ran around naked, we would hear about it in Bellingham, wouldn't we? We'd know about that. Yeah, it's a small world. So it's very likely that these 12 disciples knew about this wrecked man. And they didn't want to go there. They probably thought Jesus was off his rocker for even wanting to cross the sea. And so it was too much like when naked, uh, wrecked man comes, comes out and he's smelling like pig maneuver. It was all too much for them. They might have just thrown up in their mouth a little bit. They probably doubted Jesus. So let's come back to the crowd. They're mad. They've just lost their financial investment. And all this time now, they're being whipped up into a mob. And now they're speaking with one voice against Jesus. Because they don't want him here. They've suffered loss because of this guy. And, and what's more is they're looking now at the restored man who's sitting clothed in the tomb and in his right mind. And what does the Bible say? It says they were terrified because he was calm. Like they were terrified by the calming of the sea. And we have to know that the, wrecked, that the, the crowd is just as wrecked like we're wrecked, and we have wreckage in our lives, and there was probably storms in their lives, like there's storms in our lives, but they rejected Jesus. And so with one voice, they're telling Jesus, get out of here, we don't want you here. They think they're going to lose by hitching their cart to this man, Jesus. And so the Lord turned to leave. And the Lord doesn't force himself when he's not wanted. And he turned his back on the crowd that turned their backs on him. And they walked back towards the boat, or Jesus walked back towards the boat and got in. And I want you to picture him uh, taking a foot in that calm Galilean sea and climbing in the boat. But then the wrecked guy from back in the tomb, he runs out again. <laughs> and he's like, Jesus, I want you to, I want to go with you. And I want you to picture the disciples back here going, no, please, no. 
disciples wanted out of there more than anything. And Jesus tells him, no, he can't get in the boat. And I want you to see the disciples going, yes. <laughs> but then Jesus does something really unexpected, something ridiculous. He commissions this guy to be his representative to the region of Decapolis, and he tells him, go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. It is such a simple message. It's such a simple message. But this is a really stupid idea, unless Jesus is God. He chooses this guy. And when I look in the Bible, I'm hard-pressed to find anybody who's more wrecked and ruined. And if you read the New Testament chronologically, it seems like this is the first guy Jesus sends out as a kingdom ambassador. And that's amazing. <laughs> it's stupid. Unless Jesus is God. In fact, it's ridiculous for God to use any of us for his kingdom work unless Jesus is God. Because what king or president or CEO or even like the vice president of Mickey Mouse Club, who does this? Who gets a resume and says, I'm looking for somebody to represent me. And they find the resume of this guy and he's like, hmm, demon possessed, yep, naked, smelling like pig poo. Um, let's see, it's, uh, he's crazy, he's insane, he's got scars. I'm choosing him. <laughs> But when he goes to the Decapolis, there was change there because the change in his life was undeniable and he carried a simple message. Look what the Lord did for me. And God asks us to be carriers of that same message. And it's hard. I know it's hard. It's difficult for me sometimes to even open my mouth and say, this is what Jesus did for me. But that's what he's asking us to do if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the wrecked man, right, I want you to picture he was bent over and he becomes the restored man. But it's not like all of his problems just disappear. It's not puppies and unicorns and butterflies for this guy when he meets Jesus. And for you, if on the day that you meet Jesus, let's say today you decide to give your life to Jesus... If you're getting an F in your history class, you're still getting an F in your history class. <laughs> and what if today you decide, I want to be baptized, and I want to meet Jesus, and you have $25,000 debt. When you go home, you still have $25,000 debt. But on the day that you give your life to Jesus is the day that he begins to restore all of your life. That can happen for you today. But consider the wrecked man. There's some wreckage that takes a long time to recover from. And there's some trauma that you never fully recover from in your life. But you have the presence of Jesus with you. Like there may have been times when he would walk past a pig farm and even just the smell 
of the pigs would take him back to the place of his torment. Has that ever happened to you? Like a smell triggers a horrible memory? There might have been times where he's laying in bed at night and he's feeling the scars and he remembered that he did that to himself. The wrecked man probably had nightmares. There probably were days where he could remember back and still hear the cackle and the screeches of the mob that once lived inside of him. He had a long road. We don't, the Bible doesn't really say what happens after this guy other than he gets commissioned, goes out, and a lot of people hear about Jesus. But there's a few things we can reasonably conclude from the scripture. And the Bible says that in Acts, 50 days after the death of Jesus, the Jewish disciples were gathered in Jerusalem in a room and it was like fire descended, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was God deciding to live inside of them. And then the book of Acts says that this same thing, we call it Pentecost, this same thing happened to other believers in other regions, both Jewish and non-Jewish. And so I want to paint a picture for you of what might have happened to the restored man. I want you to picture him deciding to go back to his old graveyard so he can remember the day that he met Jesus. And maybe when he was on the hillside, he decided, like in the song that we sung, I'm just going to shout it from the mountains. I'm going to tell it to the, mountain, to the masses that he is God. And maybe he screamed out his voice on the same hillside he used to scream out in torment. <laughs> and with a hoarse voice then, I want you to picture him going back down and he gets to the graveyard and he looks inside and maybe he sees his own blood smeared on a tomb. And I want you to picture him looking out over the Sea of, Gla of, of Galilee and it's a perfectly calm day and it's a glassy sea and he sees the Lord once again coming towards him in the boat and landing on shore. And in that moment, I want you to see a smile come over the face of the restored man. And then the Holy Spirit descends and fills him. Like the guy who was the skanky motel for demons is now the temple of the living God. How rad is that? And that's you. If you take the name of Jesus and you put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit has come in you and you're a temple of the living God. And if that's not you yet, that could be you today. And then one day, the restored man takes his last breath. And we sang also, uh, when we arrive on eternity's shore. And so the, re the, the restored man, he dies. And he crosses from death into eternal life. And it's like he's, he's crossing a glassy sea. And he's landing on the shore. Like Jesus once landed on his shore. And now instead of him running out of the tombs, this time it's Jesus running out to meet him. And he's the reunited man now. 
And he no longer has scars on his arms, but Jesus has scars. And he looks into the eyes of Jesus, and maybe he says, I know you. And Jesus looks back and says, I know you. You're somewhere in this story. There's a very good chance that each of you represents somebody in this story. And I wonder if you're the wrecked man. If right now there's torment in your life and there's a storm that's raging and it's too much for you to take and you don't know how you can take it anymore. I want you to know that today it's time for you to come out of your tombs and meet Jesus. And he wants to begin to restore you. And he promised he's going to be with you the rest of your life. And your day isn't going to be made perfect today, but one day it will. I wonder if you're the restored man. Your life has been transformed and you know that Jesus has given you a simple message. Go and tell people what I've done for you. But I wonder if you're holding on to that and you're reluctant, or you're scared maybe, and you don't want to take that step, I'm asking that today you ask the Lord for courage to go and tell what Jesus has done for you. I wonder if, if uh, you've been part of a crowd that's rejected Jesus, that you've actually been hostile. You don't even know why you're sitting here right now, but God does. Remember the crowd, they feared loss if they gave their life to Jesus. And maybe right now, you're afraid that if you connect with Jesus, if you trust in him, you're going to lose things on earth that are important to you. And I'm asking and begging you, do not trade an eternity with Jesus for bacon on earth. It's not worth it. Or I wonder if you're like the disciple who sat in the boat, disgusted at those people. And you're very religious, and you grew up in the church your whole life, and you just get a little bit sick when you think about some of those people. You need to know that Jesus loves those people, and maybe he's sending you to them. Whoever you are and wherever you are in this story, you need to know that God wants to move you from wrecked to restored to reunited eternally someday. And today, you get to make a decision to do that. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank you that even the most wrecked among us the one with the biggest pile of sin, the most rebellion, is, is not more wrecked than you can restore. Lord, you can restore the most wrecked life, the most violent storm you can calm, and I pray you do that today. I'm praying you give courage to people who know that they need to make a decision for you, but have been afraid. I'm praying that this is their day. Lord, we thank you and we love you that you're sovereign and that 
it was all because of your cross that any of this is possible. Would you be with us now in Jesus' name? Amen.